Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, the professional left badgers and harasses even more U.S. senators, an academic hoax shows the consequences of left-wing big philanthropy, and California farm workers overcome big labor's one-man, one-vote, one-time approach to union organizing. First item comes from Washington, D.C. As the debates over the nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court continue on Capitol Hill, the organized far left continues its campaign of badgering, harassing, and intimidating Republican senators. Uh, We mentioned last week the efforts by Antifa and D.C., uh, Democratic Socialists of America, to harass Ted Cruz at a restaurant. Shortly before he requested a one-week delay in investigation into the claims against Judge Kavanaugh, Senator Jeff Flake, Republican of Arizona, was accosted in a Senate elevator and yelled at by Anna Maria Archila, who is a career left-wing activist. She currently serves as the co-executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy, one of the largest national far-left community organizing groups. CPD receives funding from major labor unions like the AFL-CIO and the SCIU, and it also receives substantial funding from liberal foundations. The Ford Foundation, which is a major funder of almost all far-left organizations, and the Novo Foundation, which is headed by Warren Buffett's youngest son. Archila also serves on the National Committee of the Working Families Party, which is a far-left political force in New York State, with close ties to New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and the defunct ACORN network of union-aligned far-left groups. Archila's apparent success, now it's possible that Flake would have asked for a one-week delay anyway, Uh, I'm sympathetic to his thinking that allowing the FBI to independently look at the allegations might either turn up something substantial or uh, at least confirm that nothing substantial could be found. Uh, but the problem is that people like Archila aren't asking for the, weren't asking for the review in good faith. Um, the, problem is the, apparent, the other problem is the apparent success of her stunt has emboldened uh, her fellow left-wing activists to do more of these uh, shout-downs, more of these pressure campaigns, more of these intimidation stunts. CPD urged their supporters to do so in a fundraising email. And this week, uh, Senator David Perdue, Republican of Georgia, uh, was harassed by left-wingers who were wearing T-shirts by with a CPD slogan on them. Uh, he was hounded into an airport bathroom. Uh, yet another sign of the debasement of our politics. Item two is about the debasement of academia. Three academics confessed this week to hoodwinking a number of academic journals in women's studies, feminist philosophy, and similar what they call grievance studies with ridiculous and even bigoted fabricated research purporting to find rape culture in dog parks, recommending that men be made to wear chains during class, and supposing that heterosexual male sexual attractions and behaviors are inherently problematic. Problematic being a left-wing jargon nonsense word meaning bad because the left says so. How the heck did the university system in peer review the two mechanisms supposedly designed to prevent the circulation of nonsense masquerading as knowledge, uh, decay into this. It is, as it so often is, an institutional story. These grievance studies departments are a multi-million dollar project of some of the biggest liberal left philanthropies, aimed at changing public policy not just today, but decades from the days that the foundations are signing the grant checks. Yesterday's checks from the Ford Foundation, the Mott Foundation, other liberal big philanthropies, paid to train today's identity politics advocates. And the checks they're writing today are training tomorrow's. From the 1970s to the 1990s, the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Corporation and the other Carnegie Foundations, the Mott Foundation, and the rest of liberal big philanthropy spent upwards of $36 million to generate 
and develop the fields of women's studies and other similar grievance studies disciplines. The purpose was to change cultural politics and move cultural conversation toward the left, in the process creating groupthink that allows hoaxes like, quote, human reactions to rape culture and queer performativity in urban dog parks in Portland, Oregon, one of the hoax papers, to be recognized for excellence in feminist geography, rather than being detected for raw absurdity and shoddy fabricated data. An Oxford philosophy doctoral student wrote, the left-wing-aligned philosophical movement postmodernism, a driving intellectual undercurrent in the grievance studies, quote, isn't a fashion, it's our culture. While social sciences were more resistant to the hoaxes that were attempted, the danger is that with the support from big liberal philanthropy, the biases of these pure grievance studies, the, uh, the ethnic studies, the women's studies, will leak into what are, for now, more rigorous fields. Even uh, sociology would be more rigorous than the grievance studies. Certainly the hard sciences, economics, and that could conceivably lead to mass misinformation in the name of scholarship. We have better news in item three. After a five-year battle, employees of Garawan Farming, a California agricultural concern, have had their votes getting rid of the United Farm Workers as their labor union counted and accepted by state agriculture labor regulators. For whatever it's worth, the no-union side won the election 1,098 to 197. You might say that the UFW is a firm believer in the one-man, one-vote, one-time principle when it comes to instituting the union. In 1990, Garawan workers voted to install the UFW to uh, organize the union, but the union and management couldn't agree to a contract, and in 1992, the union simply walked away. Twenty years later... In 2012, the union abruptly reappointed itself as bargaining representative and demanded contract negotiations. They hoped to take advantage of a California law allowing state regulators to dictate a contract under mandatory arbitration, and also to collect mandatory dues, since California doesn't have a right-to-work law. It's important to note that many of the workers who would have voted the union in in 1990 no longer worked for Garawan when the UFW reappointed itself in 2012. As they didn't want to be unionized, workers then circulated petitions to have what's called a decertification election, a vote to get rid of a union that the workers don't want anymore. The union challenged the petition, said it was illegal, said, the, said that the uh, workers had received assistance from the employer. So the workers circulated a second petition, and this time the Agricultural Labor Relations Board of California allowed them to vote. The vote was held in November 2013, and then the votes weren't counted. State regulators chose not to count them until they were ordered to by a court this year. As it turned out, the union had lost decisively. As I mentioned earlier, 1,098 to 197. This week, the Agricultural Labor Relations Board of California formally certified the results. The UFW no longer represents the workers at Garawan, five years after the workers had voted them out. It's important to note that what the UFW did to the Garawan farm workers is actually quite typical of union practice when it comes to voting on union organization. Unions lobby for public card checks, allowing unions to be organized by public declarations, the public signature of cards, allowing their, their operatives to intimidate and deceive, making it easier for the unions to get a favorable outcome. Unions lobby against periodic recertification elections to determine whether the union maintains the majority support of workers. Right now, at least at the federal level, if a private sector union is established, 
it exists until it is affirmatively decertified. And as we see in the Garawan case, even an attempted and affirmative decertification can be stopped by a union and favorable regulators. When unions lose an election, whether to organize or to be decertified, the results are almost always the same. They sue or file unfair labor practices in order to get the vote thrown out. And sure enough, the UFW has vowed to appeal the decision, decertifying them as the representative at Garawan. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.